Alex really wanted to be here today. I was riding my exercise bike this morning uh, with my headphones on, and the music stopped, and the phone rang, and it was Pastor Alex going, Hello, David, this is Pastor Alex. Something like that. He's really sick. So uh, I said, Hey, probably good you're not here. So let's uh, remember to pray for our pastor that his recovery will be, will be quick and that he's hopefully at home just resting and relaxing. But what that means is uh, he said, Hey, can you handle some of the other stuff? And I said, I can do that. Um, because I count it a privilege, I get to introduce one of my best friends this morning. Jason Miles and I have been friends, good Lord, way back in California days in the early 90s. Uh, we have uh, seen our kids grow up together. We have been in ministry together. Jason and I worked together at World Vision for a number of years. We've traveled to Africa together. We've cried together. We've had our hearts broken together. Um, and we've known the joy together of... Uh, stepping into uh, the space that God calls you. So uh, Jason and Cinnamon both are awesome friends and uh, a great, um, great members of our body. A lot of times you don't see them here inside Sanctuary because they're out with our kids. And they're really, really faithful Sunday school teachers. So it's a pleasure to introduce one of my best friends, Jason Miles. Come on up, bud. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Morning, everybody. Morning. How are we? You all right? Ready to do this? Yes. Am I too loud? Is that all right? I'll let you handle it for me. Handle it. Well, it's an honor. Uh, Alex asked me to speak about missions. He said, would you speak about missions, but not about so powerful, about general missions? And I was like, of course, of course. So it's my honor to be able to do that this morning and really do a deep dive into the topic of the mission of the church. And uh, you excited about that? Okay. If you have your Bible app or a real Bible, you could turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and I'd like to start us by reading this scripture. If I had to give a, a summation of our job as believers and what Christ is doing as it relates to building up and strengthening the body of Christ, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 really sets the tone. So let me read it to you. And then we'll go from there. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who's the head, that is Christ. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Amen. What a verse, huh? Now, this morning, I'm going to try to do my very best to speak the truth in love, and I have a whole set of slides, and Tim told me I have three hours worth of slides. <laughs> so that means I have, uh, in 30 minutes, I think I have to speak six times faster than normal. Is that all right? So let's talk about the mission of the church from 2020 to 2050. That's sort of weird. All right, I'll, let's start there. But let's think about the mission of the church this morning. Let's read this verse together because it's really the foundation of what we would consider uh, missions. 
in many ways, right? Can you read that with me? Is it too small? You probably know it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this verse is important for a couple reasons. Did you know this is the first place in the Bible where the phrase, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is put together like that? Yeah, right there. Never knew that until I started Googling around on this verse. And I learned a lot of interesting things about this verse. And, and I want to mention a few things that I think are very important for us as a group this morning to talk through. The first big fundamental question is, was that the Great Commission... Only for the disciples. Yes or no? No. no. All in favor of no? Okay. We, so at, collectively, if we are the council of written Christian-centered theology, we say that verse applies to us. Right? If we call ourselves Christians, that verse applies to us. All right. So we've got a little bit of our marching orders to start with, right? So then <clears throat> in the original language, this is a really interesting part of this verse. The main directive is what this is called in the original language. Is, do you think go or make disciples? Ooh, tricky one. Not so sure, are we? Okay, I hear a make disciples. It's interesting, isn't it? It, in fact, is because it is one main directive, and it is, in fact, make disciples. And the current usage, we would have a sentence structure like, says like this, Mama said, go to the store and get milk. Now, if my mama said, go to the store and get milk, what do I think she wants me to do? Get milk. If I went to the store and got bubble gum, would mama be happy? No. Mama ain't happy if I don't come back with the milk. That's called the main directive of that sentence. So go and make disciples. The going's part of it. The making disciples is sort of the kicker, I guess you could say, right? That's kind of interesting, right? Okay, cool. So let me ask you this. What is a disciple? compared to just someone who converts to Christianity or, be, or says, I am a Christian. What's a disciple? I open it to the floor. Go quickly, just say one or two things. and A follower, okay? A wit- so a disciple is somebody who witnesses. A practitioner. A being teachable. A doer. Okay. A trainee. Okay, that's like a contemporary word, right? A trainee, yep. An apprentice. Yes. Okay, cool. Lifetime a lifetime learner. Right. A disciple. D- a disciplined. Oh, that's so it's like the word use. So somebody disciplined in it. All right. I like that. That actually makes a lot of sense. Now, this is an interesting little tweak. And this goes back to the original language. Was this an individual calling on the 11 disciples that were there? Maybe there were 12 there. Judas maybe hadn't flaked out yet. Okay, don't correct my theology. Just (laughs) ignore that question. Look it up later. Was it an individual calling to those that Jesus was speaking to, Peter, and, 
Or was it to them as a group? Ooh, this is kind of interesting, huh? You don't know that unless you look at the use of the word you several times in the verse. Because is the question, is he talking to them individualistically or as a group? As it turns out, he's speaking to them as a group. So if he's speaking to them about the cause of Christ being advanced in the world by going and making disciples as a group, it really jives very well with Ephesians 4.11, where the whole gist of it is we've got to work together in unity. Do you notice when we read that Ephesians 11, did you ever think to yourself when you're reading that Ephesians 11 about the unity and growing and maturity, you think to yourself, man, I, I just wish all the churches kind of could do that. You ever feel that way? Like, why are there so many denominations and how has it become so disunified in ways? But that verse calls us back to a point of unity, doesn't it? It does. So here's the big question for all of us this morning. How do we wisely apply this verse today? How do we live it out? How are we living it out? Right? What, what do we do today to fulfill the Great Commission? Because we said it applies to all of us, right? So that means the burden's on us to say, okay, if it applies to all of us, what are we doing? So I want to tell you a story about how I sort of um, came to grips with this reality. When I was nine, my dad left us. And... Uh, we didn't know where he went for 17 years. So until I was like 26, however the math works. Yeah, whatever. Um, don't, okay, sorry, I shouldn't do math publicly. <laughs> or think about Judas. Don't think about Judas or do math publicly. I'll be fine. Uh, we didn't know where he went. Uh, I was nine. My older brother was 11. My oldest brother was thir- 13. My, and my oldest sister was 16. It decimated our family. Uh, I won't describe their uh, issues. I'll just describe my own. I became a very, very cynical, uh, unhappy young person. My dad was a four-square pastor, as it happens, in uh, Oregon and then in California. Just devastating to our family. But I was young enough that my mom made me go to church when we started going to church. And there was a couple, and I've talked about this before, I think, probably here. I've, anytime I talk, I talk about this. Uh, Bruce and Shelley Glines were their names, and they started helping in the fourth grade Royal Ranger class. And they, um, in essence, kept bringing me into the church programs, on the campouts, and, and in every way, they did their best to console little Jason who was clearly screwed up because of this trauma in his family. And as it happens, when I was in sixth grade going to seventh grade, they became the junior high pastors at the church. And as it happens, when I was in eighth grade going to ninth grade, they became the high school pastors at the church. Well, after I graduated, I lived with them for two years, and I did an internship um, at the church uh, where Bruce was a pastor, ultimately, so that's the backstory. Here's the specific moment in time. When I was a freshman, I was uh, on the football team. I was a fullback. Can you see me as a fullback? No. Not so much. I mean, I know. Whatever. Uh, 
But I was with all the popular athletes in the quad at the big, big high school. But I was also trying to figure out my own relationship with the Lord. And Bruce and Shelley had brought me back to the altar so many times. And I would cry it out, cry my eyes out, commit my life to the Lord, well, say I was believing, and I was. But then I would go to school, and I was hanging out with my buddies who were all idiots. You know, and just... <laughs> right? I mean, you know how... Has anybody been there before? So, so, so I'll never forget this. My high school year, uh, in my freshman year in high school, Bruce and Shelley have this great idea. Hey, let's all take, and by them they meant the high schoolers, a giant 15-foot cross out to the middle of the quad and pass out tracks. Uh, you know what a track is, young people? The paper that you give people that has the writing, that has the gospel on it. They used to do that a long time ago. Well, right when they announced that program, I was like, oh, can I say crap in church? I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, what do I do? <laughs> These are all my good, good friends <sighs> in the quad. And every day we sat there on tables and made fun of people or threw stuff or just, you know, we just did whatever. I had to decide. And the cross was literally, I mean, it was huge. It was probably that tall and like all the way to the ground. It was like those big, you know, those like construction railroad ties or whatever. It was crazy. And so what do you do? So I'll never forget it. I said, of course, yeah, I'll do it. I, I mean, I, I had to decide. I could have called in sick, but I didn't want to. Because part of me wanted to do it. Part of me wanted to stand up and say, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Deal with that. And uh, I'll never forget, Bruce pulls up in his little Datsun truck. He had a red Datsun truck. Pulls up to the side of the school. This cross is hanging like 10 feet out the back. We come over. We all, like four or five of us guys have to carry it. We all come out to the side of the road. We all get this cross. You know, there's probably a dozen or 15 of us. And here we go. We're carrying that cross, man. Carry it over all the way into the quad. And as we do, I'm trying not to make eye contact with anybody. <laughs> Standing there, we stand it up. And then, of course, I know where all my friends hang out in this big quad area. So, you know, stand it up. And I'm thinking to myself, if I stand right here <laughs> on this side of the cross, <laughs> they, uh, I just, and I realized, I'm in, man. I'm all in on the Jesus deal. So we passed out the tracks. And uh, that, oh, that was us, by the way. Sorry, I should have advanced my slide deck. We all had red shirts, and we would go and do evangelism stuff. I'm the guy in the front with the white uh, makeup on my face. Yes, I had hair back then. And Bruce and Shelly, Bruce is the bald guy in the back uh, left corner, and Shelly's the, on the far left in the black dress. Um... That was a defining moment in my life as it relates to evangelism. Now, uh, last, uh, two summers ago, we, we took that picture and all of us signed it and we had a little reunion. Um, 
And it uh, was kind of a fun get-together with Bruce and Shelley. They're still pastors at a church in Sutter, California. Um, i got to be really honest. As I look back on that, it had nothing to do in the moment about evangelism of the high schoolers. It had everything to do with the discipleship of Jason and Peter and Tom and Dave, Kim, all the youth kids. See what I'm saying? Now, they do see you at the poll nowadays. I'm not sure it has quite the dramatic effect that uh, the giant cross pulled off. But that was a defining moment for me, the, the discipleship. That's my version of being discipled. And I'll always be appreciative, Bruce and Shelley. So I want to shift gears and ask the big questions, though. Well, that's me, that's you. I know every one of us will have a story about our own commitment to Christ, how we've decided to follow Christ. But what about at the global level? What's happening right now? That's kind of interesting, right? So at the global level, you can see um, in, in purple are the Christian nations, majority Christian nation. It's fascinating, isn't it? Now, you know, are there plenty of people that need the Lord in the United States? Yes, there are. Could the United States go to a place where it's not a majority Christian nation? Yes, it could. Right? So then the Muslim nations are across North Africa and the Middle East. You see those, and then they go over to Asia, to the right. Um, This is the global context in which we are operating right now as a group. If we believe we're called to go and make disciples, and that still applies to us today, then this is our landscape. Should we make disciples in Renton and Auburn and Seattle? Absolutely. But there is an element of going. That is an aspect of what we have grown up with, right, as Christians. So I want to talk through that piece of it uh, as well. This is really, um, in many ways, interestingly bad. Um, the Pew Research Council has uh, figured out that by the end of this century, Muslims will be the majority religion in the world. Christian religion is growing. You can see on the, on the right-hand side, the Christian uh, global population is flatlining, and the Muslim global population is skyrocketing. Now, that's a fact. And this is uh, a reality check for us, right? And the question is, what are we doing to fulfill the Great Commission? Because this could be very discouraging, but it could also be highly motivating. And it depends on how you want to look at it, I guess. Um, You'll notice that North Africa and Africa in general is one of sort of the interesting spots there. Um, I had the opportunity, and, and Cinnamon and I have, we've spent basically our whole lives, our adult lives in missions. Cinnamon was with Youth with a Mission before we got married, uh, serving in Ukraine. And uh, then I worked with Dana, as he mentioned, at World Vision for 16 years. And in many ways, that was our expression of our missions-mindedness. And then for the last eight years, we've had our own ministry in Zambia. Um, and we've been honored to serve the community there by being here and being a fundraiser and, and uh, helping coordinate things. You'll notice in this map that um, up in top right corner, there's a little white chunk there. That's Ethiopia. Uh, yeah, there. 
Um, so our ministry is in Zambia. Zambia is 87% Christian uh, majority. Um, many, many churches, many, many on fire uh, believers. Ethiopia is, um, interestingly, when I was there in 2007, they said it was 55% Christian, 45% Muslim. Um, and, the, and the Christians there were mortified at the thought that Muslim majority would take over. And they just said, because we know we'll be killed. We'll be run out of town. We will be uh, every bad thing. I mean, you know, you, they were very, very concerned. And I just realized this is, in many ways, like a, the front lines of um, the Great Commission. And I'll never forget being there. I went with a group um, of um, medical missions, short-term medical missions. And I, um, I didn't have any medical experience or training, but they were gracious enough to host me, and then I was going to host them at a World Vision location later in the week. So I went with them to their program. This is what their program was. Basically, it was a pediatric AIDS clinic. And so I didn't know what to expect. They, they knew I didn't know how to do anything. So they just said, hey, you sit with this guy, Dr. Doug. Oh, come here, Doug. Jason, I'll sit with you this morning. Okay, okay, cool, hi. He's from UC Davis. Very, very nice guy. And the pediatric AIDS clinic starts going. All these moms, all these babies and kids. And um, I'll never forget it. I honestly, I couldn't take it. I left uh, mid-morning. We go through process and, and basically, like I'll, I'll describe three of the kids because I remember in succession these three kids. Kirby is a kid that comes in. He's seven years old. He's HIV positive. Comes in with his dad. Kirby has pneumonia. So Dr. Doug is describing how the pneumonia medication can be given, how it interacts with the HIV issues, and what the dad should do. Okay, great. You know, Dr. Doug was super cool. Really, really nice guy. Kirby goes on his way. Next child is Danny. Danny comes in with his mom. Danny's 10 years old. Danny kept having nosebleeds, so his mom had come two weeks prior and had him tested for HIV. So then they're like, okay, where's the results? Results page. So Dr. Doug's looking at the results. He's like reading this little piece of paper. And you kind of tell he's like thinking or something. Like, what's he doing? I don't know. Was it just a yes or no? But I think in hindsight, what he was doing was making sure he was going to say the right thing. And it was a form that was unfamiliar to him. You know, the lab forms. UC Davis has different stuff. So, um, so the mom, so, but I remember him holding the paper kind of a little bit, just a little twitch. Not nervous shaking, but just a little twitch. And I thought, the gravitas of that moment just hit me. And the mom you could, was just literally... She, you could tell she was freaked. So Dr. Doug, and he calls somebody over, hey, just consulting with somebody, and then says to the mom, well, we're really happy to let you know. Um, sorry, Kirby or Danny, sorry, I don't remember. Danny is not HIV positive. The mom just explodes in crying and saying, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Like that kind of, you know. 
And I was just like, oh my gosh. It's like, whoo. Third child comes in five minutes later. Scion is her name. Five years old. She had been raped. And uh, so they had tested her for HIV. And they didn't know yet the results. And the way it works with HIV is you have to come back and be tested sort of repeatedly over time. And so the status was she was not HIV positive, but they wanted to have her tested again. So the mom was there, and Dr. Doug worked with the mom to just clarify issues. And, and uh, the issue there is that there's, uh, there's practices there related to all kinds of bad stuff. And I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm not called to be here. <laughs> I can't do this. I couldn't do it. So I kind of, you know, jostled things around a little bit, told him I had to go prep for our day tomorrow, and I took off. I just couldn't take it. And I thought to myself, holy smokes, those guys are on the front lines. Man. And that was my experience in Ethiopia, hearing them say how worried they were about the evangelization of the Muslims of the Middle East into Ethiopia and what was going to happen if the country converted. I forgot to tell you, they also said that the, the big Middle Eastern nations were investing billions of dollars in churches, schools, hospitals, all in Ethiopia with the purpose of converting people to, because if you look at the map, if you go back, like look at the map, I mean, the, that band of North Africa is uh, quite a collection of countries. But you know what? There are believers in those countries. My, one of my good friends, Eli Kaita, is a believer in Mali, Bamako, Mali, a very, very challenging place. There are believers in these places that are the front lines of the Great Commission. I couldn't go and be the person in Addis Ababa. That's not my role. I can tell you about their cause, though. So that's, that's just part of what sort of my heart and mind goes towards as I think about these things. So let me ask you this question. Now that I've really depressed all of us horribly, do you think I can recover? Can we, like, could we, can we, are you with me? I told you I was going to speak the truth. Which clipboard do you think would get 10 signups faster if it was in the back of the church? Mission trip. We're going to Ethiopia for 10 days this summer. We have room for 10 people, and it costs $3,000 per person. Please sign up in the lobby. That's option one. Option two. Offerings needed. We have 10 pastors living in Ethiopia that need financial support for the next year. The cost is $3,000 each. If you'd like to sponsor one, please sign up in the lobby. It's about to get real up in here. Okay, good, good, good. All right. So, so your vote is this. Your vote is the money because you don't have to go. And it's easier. Okay. Adrian says. 
Yeah. Harder. Yeah. It's a tough one, friends. Dana and I, as fundraisers for a long, long time, struggle with this. Why do a trip? Because people will go. What if you just try to ask them for a bunch of money? Won't happen. It's just, a, I mean, it's just a, this, is a, this is a reality check. Is this sermon like the most depressing one you've ever heard? Sorry. <laughs> You might wonder where I got the math on that last little deal, 3,000 uh, needed. Um, the average wage in Ethiopia is 255 bucks a month. Well, that's a little old. I don't know what it is for real right now, but in general. The, you know what the average American household uh, income is? Uh, 59. Yeah, 59,000. It's gone up quite a bit in the last two years. It used to be 50,000 for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> So, so that could be a reality check. So i got to give you a few suggestions, opinions, and I want to turn the corner on this and make it about actually what we can do to participate and get involved. Here's my opinion. If we emphasize going more than making disciples, we're making a massive mistake. If it's about the go and not about the disciple-making, massive mistake with eternal consequences, for real, yeah. The reasons we'd rather go, Adrian liked to mention, was it's adventurous, travel's relatively easy. In fact, it's amazing how you can go anywhere these days. I saw tickets for, to England for $169 one way through Iceland. I'm like, what in the world? Okay. <laughs> and travel makes us, in some ways, the hero. There's a psych, psych, yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 terminology short-term missions is problematic in and of itself, isn't it? So, um, yeah, it makes us the hero in a way. There's something the psychologist calls um, motivated self-interest. That means when you do something, and it could be a cool thing, but there's a motivation there related to some positive feedback of yours. I can guarantee you, when I was standing at that cross in the quad in my high school campus, there was no part of that that was me thinking any, anything about that was cool. The few friends in the youth group, I guess you could say, I thought maybe they would respect me, but really, in hindsight, it was more about the sacrifice than it was about the blessing on me. And much of our missions needs to, we really need to ask those questions. Is it about the sacrifice? The pitfall of short-term missions. And I'm signing people up right now to go with me to Lusaka this July. So don't get me wrong. Hear my heart in it. It's like, is it perfect? No. Is it horrible? No. It's just this is the reality of what a lot of times we do. Short-term missions, it's insanely expensive. It's not how discipleship happens. It can be self-centered behavior. And that's a reality check for us. Right? So how do, we, how do we turn the corner on that? I go back to Ephesians 4. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. You know, I know that, like, in our Christian practice, many times we feel what we might call a burden for a specific people group or country. 
I've done that. Cinnamon's done that. I mean, Cinnamon's had a heart for the Russian people since she was a girl. I mean, she, that's just, it's just woven into her spiritual DNA, right? And that happens. We have these, like, I care about these people. What do you do? Um, so that's the reality for us, and there, I, I don't believe there's anything wrong with that. The, in the book of Acts, there's story after story about the church sending the apostles to go and preach, and then about visions happening and people seeing in dreams them coming and the Lord working. I definitely believe that the Lord puts a burden on our hearts. I never felt that, to be real about it, until I stepped foot in this place with Dana in 2009 in Lusaka. And I somehow felt spiritually bonded to that place. And so I would say to anybody who says they have a real heart for insert country, city, location, really pray about what that means for God to have you here and have a burden for that ministry and discipleship there. And it may not mean go. It might mean be a champion. If Ethiopia is the place, start talking about Ethiopia. Start raising the the issue. Start finding ways to support ministries there. You know, a pastor in Ethiopia could be praying right now. And I, honestly, as a church, we're not doing anything in Ethiopia. Specifically, I'm not, I mean, my whole thing's Zambia. I just, it's an example. But if Ethiopia, for example, was on your heart, and there's pastors there who are grinding it out, working part-time as a baker or whoever, whatever, taxi driver, trying to build a church. One day, I honestly believe this, and Cinnamon told me I can't talk about cryptocurrency and how it could solve these problems, but I'll just say, there will be a point in the future in which direct payment or transfer of money from us as a Christian to a ministry leader in a place like Ethiopia can happen like that with no transaction costs and no middlemen, and the systems to put that in place are being built. And when that happens, we can start saying, I'm passionate about Haiti, Ethiopia, Zambia, where, Cuba, wherever, and I can go and fund their ministry right now with the little that I have because the little that I have is orders of magnitude more than they have. I know how it is. We all feel like we don't have enough money. But then you say, well, how do they live on $3,000 a day? Guess how much a bottle of ketchup costs in Addis Ababa? About three bucks, like it does here. It's not cheaper. They just don't have any money. And we do. And that should challenge us to say, if my burden is a certain place, how can I start to think about being the champion for them, the fundraiser, the, the believer? Here's our job as I see it. Work together, which is a really, really hard thing to do. Isn't it? We're not good at that. we got to get good at that. Work together with fellow believers to make disciples of all nations. Use the incredible financial gifts we have. And I know you might say to yourself, I'm not there. I'm not there financially. I'm not there. I don't believe I'm there financially. That's cool. But as a group in America, we are there. Use the incredible financial gifts to contribute to the cause of Christ not only abroad, but here as well, right? 
we need to get much better at identifying and funding Christian workers on the front lines of the global mission. That's what I was just talking about. I honestly believe there are systems that are being developed that will make that seamless, transparent, and immediate. How cool would that be? You care about someplace? You just look on your phone. You see Pastor Bob has a great church, validated. He's the real deal. He needs a donor. Instant. No currency issues. No bank-related fees. That'll be amazing. Taking our wealth and using it to support the work of the discipleship in key places. Now, here's how it relates to us. And I want to bring it back home. Because I don't want to leave this as just an out there type thing. The disciples went out and preached everywhere. Everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word with signs that accompanied it. So it gets back to us, friends. The Great Commission gets back to us. If we say it's for us, then in following their footsteps, it's our duty to go everywhere and preach the gospel. How do we do that? I believe we're called to stand up for Christ publicly in our social circles. I believe if we don't stand up for Christ, then we get what we deserve as a culture. Because if we don't proclaim the goodness of God and the power, the healing power that is available to everybody, if they'll bend their knee and ask Christ into their life, if we don't do that, who will? I remember it was funny a few years ago when I heard that South Korean missionaries were coming to America. Really? That's different. Yeah, we need to stand publicly. I gotta be really honest. It's very, very, first of all, I don't associate with very many people at all, so that makes this much easier. But then there is this little thing called Facebook. Which, oh man, 1.3 billion people are on Facebook now? Wow. Are you on Facebook? Okay, many of you aren't, but I'll just say that if you are, then 1.3 billion people are on there with you. I'll never forget, it was a couple years ago, I think it was 2013 or 15, something like that. I saw a post, and it changed my approach to Facebook. The post was, and I won't share it, but it was basically a picture of, I think, 20 or 21 Egyptian Christians who were on a beach, and ISIS had them, and it ended for them. And it was just a striking, they were all in orange jumpsuits. Maybe some of you remember seeing that picture. And I said to myself, you know what? If that stuff's on Facebook, somebody's got to be standing up for those people and saying, Jesus loves you. And there's goodness in him. You can find forgiveness. I don't know how to do that on Facebook. I don't want to be a weirdo. Do you? No, no, none of us want to be a weirdo. And so that's the struggle. This is where it gets real, right? Uh, I found this little sermon once. It's a sermon from a guy from the, like, 1930s. You ever seen that one? The Bible says. Oh, yeah. 
Jesus, and just goes. It's like four minutes of Jesus is. It's so good. It's so shareable. I shared that one time, and I thought, you know what? Something deep down felt right about sharing that. It felt like I wasn't doing any preaching. I'll just share a really good preacher's preaching. That was easy. And so the last month, I did it again. I was like, man, that's too good not to keep sharing. I might start sharing it every day. I don't know. (laughs) Unfollow me if you don't want to hear what the Bible says about my Jesus, my King. Do you know him? That, to me, is such a simple way to proclaim the goodness of God. It's us fulfilling the Great Commission with literally the click of a button. And I think we could all do it. And I know it's hard. I just heard this story about a guy who um, the, the parents found the kid's Instagram feed, 16-year-old kid, and it was full of profanity and all that, this Christian family. And it was like a come-to-Jesus moment. What's happening with our 16-year-old right now? We have to be believers on social media. We have to. Because that's what God has given us as part of our opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission. You with me? How many of you would say, I'm willing to find something that I could share that would express the goodness of God in my social media accounts, if I have social media accounts. Find something. Really think through. What would my friends think if they saw this? Yeah. I think the most challenging part of the proclamation and the discipleship making for us is, well, what about the people who are close to us who candidly have decided not to follow? What do we do? And that can be one of the biggest struggles. There are people in my family who, who I, I pray over, I think about. They've decided not to follow. And how do you revisit that topic? Biggest challenge. Because if they said no, then how do you bring it up again? What's the Holy Spirit leading in that? How does the Lord work in their life and your life? And how do you come to the point where you say, It's time to speak to them again. It's the hardest challenge. I mean, going on a trip, relatively easy, as we've talked about. Supporting a ministry or a mission somewhere, relatively easy. Putting something on Facebook, relatively easy. Talking to your brother, much harder. So I want to challenge you this morning. We've got a few minutes left, and what I'd like to do is, if it's okay, we've got a video Um, and I want to play this, and I want you, if you have somebody that you just thought of when I said your, you know, family member, I want to take a moment as this song plays, and let's pray for them specifically. Is that all right? And it's a video, too, so you can watch the worship, but then, and it's really cool because it shows people coming to Christ. Maybe even if this isn't too hokey, just envision them coming to Christ. Not in a weirdo way. Do it in a Christian way. Whatever that looks like. Envision them coming to Christ. 
standing up, walking down to the altar. You can go ahead and hit play. Envision them bending their knee and believing that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Envision them getting baptized. Coming up. You can crank it up if you want. Are you hurting and broken within? And being a part of the family of God. By the is that all right? Let's pray for those people. Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling.
amen, amen, amen. Let's all stand together. And uh, Dana's going to come up, I think, and close us. Is that right? But if it's all right, I'll pray as well. Lord, we do think of every one of those family members and every one of those community members and every one of those people who you just put on our hearts. And we're asking that you would draw them to yourself. We're asking, God, that you would raise up your glory in their life so that they would see you in a miracle, miracle way. We pray, God, that we would just be used by you at the right time, in the right way, with the right words, with the right testimony, that we would believe for their salvation, but we would also speak the truth, and our lives would demonstrate the goodness of you in our, in our life, that the deeds and the words would mix together with your anointing, and you'd bring them to yourself. And one day they'll kneel at this altar and that they'll stand at the cross with us. We believe for it this morning. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Can we say thank you to our brother for bringing us that word? Everybody have a seat for just a second. If you do not have one of these cards... Can you raise your hand? Because we have ushers, because we're going to talk about this for just one minute. Raise your hand real high if you don't have one of these cards. And somebody's going to come by and give that to you. You know what I appreciate about, about Jason? I think probably why he's my friend, because he'll just talk out of jagged ed edge honesty. And we need more of that. We need more of that in our churches. Um, you know, Jason said, can I say the word crap in church? Yeah, you can. You know, because apathy in Christ is crap. Apathy in Christ is crap. It's not what we're called to. I'm called to a higher place. I'll never forget a seminal moment for me. I've been with World Vision for years, fundraised, you know, done all those things, and I'm at a World Vision event, and Margaret Becker, anybody remember Margaret Becker? Great Christian artist. Met, got to meet her a couple of times. What a wonderful lady. Margaret Becker gets up in her concert, and it's a World Vision concert, and she picks up one of those picture folders with a little child on it, and I'd seen that presented a million times, and I'm sitting there, oh, good, Margaret will get some sponsors, and, you know, these kids will be helped, and whatever. Margaret holds up that picture folder, and she says, you know what, the question really isn't, should I? The question is, why am I excused? And she just let that hang out there. Um... And, you know, in that moment of brutal honesty, when a lot of people are afraid to do that, you know, oh, don't guilt them. Oh, don't this. You know, we need to be guilted sometimes. Sorry, we do. Especially if we're guilty. <laughs> sort of makes sense. And so what I want to say is we have these, you know, we, we talk about our missionaries. Anna's been here, and Jason's spoken, and we've, um, and Gil and Gloria, people have laid down their life. This is the expression, and I know there's a, there's a hundred other expressions of generosity and Christ's love and so forth in this body. I wouldn't stay here if that weren't the case because you guys rock. You're awesome. Um, but as a family, as a group, the calling of a group, these are the people that we've been called to support so that they know that they have a family and a foundation behind them to do the, frankly, tough work that God has called them to. They've been called to go. Not everybody's been called to go, um, but everybody's been 
called. The question isn't, should I or shouldn't I? The question is, why, why would I be excused? That's the question. So this is the last Sunday we're going to talk about our, not the last time ever, but this is the last Sunday of emphasis on our cards. And I just want to encourage everybody, if you filled this out already and turned it in, that's awesome. If you haven't done that yet and you have it in your hand, I want you to prayerfully consider what is your piece of the puzzle? What is your responsibility? What is God calling you to do as someone who is not at this point, because you can always be called to go. God can always, <laughs> he can always change that call. Um, but what am I called to do? What's my piece? What's my part? Fill these out. There's a basket up on the, up, up on the back. Um, take a moment to do that. Pray about that. Think that over. Fill that out and drop that in. You guys, we are so blessed to be a body of Christ together. Amen? You guys are awesome, honestly. Come to this place on Sundays and Wednesdays, and we're going to be here tonight with kids, with a ping pong table and a foosball table, and loving teenagers, whoever walks in here tonight. Um, we're going to be here loving teenagers. We've got an auction coming up. I mean, come and be a part of that. Be a part of what God is doing. Um, there are so many opportunities to do that. Um, but this Sunday for right now, it's all about these folks. It's all about these folks that we've prayerfully said, this is a part of our family. And in the same way, if we had a family member that needed us, we'd be there. Yeah, it's the same thing. So I'm going to pray and dismiss this. Jason, thanks so much for just telling the truth. Yeah. It's awesome. Lord God, we just thank you that... Uh, we have the privilege of being here. We have the privilege of being yours. We have the privilege of belonging to each other um, because that's part of what it is to lay down our life to Christ is Jesus said greater love has no one than they lay down their life for a friend. And that doesn't mean that we jump on the live grenade that flies into the foxhole. It may mean that. But it basically means on a daily basis we lay down our lives for each other, that we put others first, that as your word says, that we consider others more important than ourselves. And so, Lord, uh, may that reflect in those that you have called to do your work specifically and those of us that you have called to support that work. Um, and, God, may we be open because uh, you don't just like, you're not a set it and forget it God. Uh, and those calls can shift and change or whatever, and somebody that's called to support can suddenly be called to go. Um, somebody that's been called to go can suddenly be called back to something new. Um, God, you are constantly um, fresh and new and moving and speaking, and we want to stay in tune with that. So, God, just thank you that one of the ways we do that is we, we talk to each other and we spend time with each other. God, you are good. How good, how good it is to be here. How good it is to be here today. We thank you for that. May we be generous. Um, people, and I'm just, just not gonna, I'm not just talking about dollars. I'm just talking about generous with our love, with our patience, um, and our concern for one another, and those in our lives who we care about that, as Jason said, they, uh, um, they don't know you yet, but uh, may we be the, the city on the hill. You're good. You're good. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody, have a great Sunday. That's an order.